You're listening to Monday Science Podcast, the show that brings you the latest in science, technology and health with your host, me, Dr. Bahija Raimi Abraham. Welcome back to Monday Science. Happy Monday. Um, We've got some exciting news. So we're now available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Couldn't say the bird the bird the word podcast wow uh so hello to our listeners from these platforms um also thank you to those who'd sent in their questions following last week's episode that was the conversation with dr saskia papescu on covid19 need to send in any questions that you might have um following on from that episode because we will be having another covid expert um coming onto the podcast in a few weeks i will um keep you guys updated Um, but also any questions that you have in the areas of science health and technology um, that you you know want answered um, just send them in send your questions to mondayscience2020 at gmail.com or you can also use the chat function on our website which is mondayscience.wixsite.com forward slash podcast In today's episode, um, I'm going to be highlighting some discoveries in science, health and uh, tech from this past week. First one, uh, there's a new stem cell based therapy to help those that are experiencing alopecia. So that's hair loss, uh, regrow their hair. So uh, the body is made up of different types of cells. Uh, So, for example, we've got the red blood cells where one of its main functions is to carry oxygen around our bodies in blood. And so stem cells, they provide new cells for the body as it grows, and then they replace uh, specialized cells that are damaged or lost. And they have two key unique properties that can allow them to do this. So firstly, they can divide over and over again to produce new cells. It's quite amazing. As they divide, they can also change into other types of cells that that are made up in the body. So um, during my postdoc, so a postdoc is something called uh, well, the full thing is postdoctoral research position, which you tend to do after uh, a PhD. And I went for some cell culture training. So this is you know training that helps you learn how to grow cells. And I was actually looking. I was actually uh, training how to grow. Um, just it's not normal cells but growth cells and also to grow stem cells and um, very like just a very surreal experience because when we were being trained um, one of the uh, trainers I think she was a a senior laboratory technician she showed us a video of um, some stem cells that she had been growing and uh, based on the different media so it's kind of like think of it as food for the cells uh that uh, she can't remember exactly this was a while ago can't remember exactly what she said the combination she used but then one day she was looking at the cells under the microscope and they had um grown or I guess mutated or changed into heart muscle cells and you could see it was so weird you could see the cells beating like it had a heartbeat yeah um, I will see if I can find a video on YouTube about things like that, because apparently it's quite common because when you start off with the stem cells, you don't know how they're going to change. So the word is actually differentiate. You don't know how they're going to change. Um, and it can be dependent on uh, what we call the the, the support. So, the, yeah, the support, the substrate that they're growing on. It can depend on the media. So I guess think of that as the food. Um, 
Anyway, back to this discovery, very interesting. So these researchers in South Korea, they conducted um, a study that explored the potential of new stem cell-based therapy to help those who are experiencing hair loss regrow their hair. Um, And so they focused on a specific type of hair loss, so alopecia is hair loss. Uh, They focused on a specific type of alopecia, which is called androgenetic alopecia, uh, commonly known as male pattern or female pattern baldness. And this uh, condition can be caused by genetic, hormonal and environmental factors. And so in this study, they used um, something called adipose tissue derived stem cells. So adipose tissue is just, it's fat. (laughs) Um, And um, it's known that with these type of stem adipose tissue uh, derived stem cells, uh, they tend to secrete growth hormones that can help cells to develop and pr- proliferate. So that's the increasing in number. Uh, in this study, they used the adipose tissue from healthy donors who had consented for their use in research or commercial properties, uh, properties purposes. Sorry, before having liposuction. So this is quite common um, in research where. Um, depending on the field or the study of what the person's trying to, you know, what the researchers are trying to do. Um, You look to see if you can get human tissue um, or human, yeah, human tissue from uh, healthy donors and also it can be donors um, with the disease that you're trying to uh, treat, cure. you tend to do this, you know, yeah, sometimes in this case, liposuction, surgeries, it depends. So this is actually quite a common practice and you have to get ethical approval, of course, um, and also patient consent. Uh, anyway, so with this study, one of the things I found interesting um, is that they recruited, now I'm going to say only because I felt it was, it was a small number. So they only recruited 38 patients, 29 men and nine women. Uh, so 38 patients with this androgenetic alopecia. Um, I, I mean, I say, I think, I feel the number is small, but it could just be they couldn't find, you know, they would have had their inclusion and exclusion criteria. So maybe they couldn't find a larger number of uh, patients to conduct the study. I mean, it's, you know, it's been, I'll put the link to the article on the website, but it's, you know, it's a reputable journal with a high um, impact factor. Anyway, so the 38 patients were split into two groups. Uh, So group one, they got the treatment. So that's the stem cell based treatment. And then the other group, they had the placebo. So that's something that would have or or give no therapeutic effect. Um, And so from the part that interests me is the formulation side of things. So they made a topical solution. So topical, a topical solution would be something that's going onto the specific site of, you know, infection or whatever. So, um, so in this case, it would have been a suspend, a cell suspension because you can't dissolve cells. Um, and then it's for the patient to apply directly to the scalp in this case. So it's, uh, in this study for the scalp. So the study ran for 16 weeks. And at the end of the 16 weeks, they found that the group who'd received the stem cell therapy had a statistically significant increase in both their hair count and uh, follicle diameter. So essentially that's saying that the uh, those who'd received the stem cell therapy had more hair and it was thicker. 
Um, and uh, so I thought that was quite, it was very interesting. And, you know, when stem cell research first came out quite a few years ago now, uh, you know, there was a lot of ethical and political controversy, controversy especially because, um, so there are like three main types of stem cells, and one of them is human embryonic stem cell. And those type of stem cells are involved in the, you can only get them through the destruction of human embryos. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of ethical and political debate. But it's going to be interesting to see, you know, for example, with this study, uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens next. You know, will they be able to commercialize it to make sure that it gets onto the market to help other patients? Um, and as I mentioned at the start, there, there are lots of lots of research going on um, in stem cell therapy. And it's actually um, expected that by 2030, stem cell therapy is going to be worth, the stem cell therapy market, sorry, is going to be worth about $8.5 billion. So over the next 10 years, 2030 is in 10 years time, well, um, over the next 10 years, we should expect to see more stem cell-based therapies emerging over the, uh, on the market. So let's see, we'll look out for more. Next discovery is quite interesting. So uh, it's technology meets fashion with a sensor embedded garments uh, that have been developed to monitor vital signs. So some researchers over in America, um, they've developed a way to incorporate um, electronic sensors into fabrics. And so this is very, very exciting because it would allow them to make clothes that has the ability to monitor vital signs such as temperature, respiration rate, heart rate, you know, oxygen, blood oxygen levels. Um, and so with these garments, so they're calling it sensor and sensor embedded, sorry, garments, they can be customized to fit close to the body of the person wearing them. So on one hand, you know, something like this could be quite interesting for the gym, you know, those who like to go to gym and you want to monitor, you know, what's your temperature, your heart rate, but then where really where the, um, researchers are interested. So they are, I believe they're part funded by, um, NASA. And so they're looking at these, sense, these type of sensor embedded garments to be used for monitoring people who are ill, either at home or hospital, but as well as athletes and astronauts. Yeah, it's very, very fascinating. And, you know, something like that could be, um, would have been very useful even around this time. Um, I did want this episode to be <laughs> corona of coronavirus COVID-19 free, but, you know, technology like this would be very, very interesting um, interesting, sorry, useful and helpful, especially around this time where, you know, a lot of people are at home, they're self, well, they should be at home, <laughs> they're self-isolating. Um, and, you know, it's quite difficult for um, healthcare professionals to monitor the patient. And so one of the, uh, the, 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 one of the things that these researchers were looking into is, you know, as much as mon you can monitor the um you know, as I said, temperature, respiratory rate, heart rate, and other things. But could you do that remotely? And it, they, they've got some promising results to so, show that that could happen. So, um, yeah, very interesting uh, piece of work. I've added a video in the episode description that explains the technology further. I would strongly recommend you take a look um, because I do feel this would be like the next wave <laughs> um, of, of tech. All right, the last bit of discovery, it's not, mm, it's not, this this next part is more of an update, um, but I'll explain why I picked it, because it reminded me of something that happened in January. So uh, pharmaceutical companies and biotech 
companies are working to accelerate data-driven discoveries. So my question is, whose data? But anyway, so there's this um, database uh, system, database management system called Paradigm 4, and it allows users to integrate data from sources such as genomic sequencing, biometric measurements, environmental factors, and other different things. Um, and they add this into their inquiries to enable new discoveries around a range of different life sciences fields. And this approach is starting to be increasingly used, by, as I mentioned before, pharmaceutical and biotech companies. Why this is, so it's an interesting article that just talks about, you know, this new system and how it's being used more and blah, blah, blah. But actually why I was very drawn to this is that in January, um, the there was a, an article published by the New Scientist and then obviously promo where uh, 23andMe, so you know the DNA testing company, they announced that they sold the uh, sold the rights to a new drug that would that had been developed using their customers' data. I don't know if anybody heard of this. Let me know. Um, you know, drop an email. Let me know because it was it was well advertised. But if you think about it, January January was the time where. Um, Corona, you know, COVID-19 was starting to pick up a bit more globally. So I feel like this news got uh, lost in, in that all. But actually, it's very, it's very, very interesting. So as I mentioned before, 23andMe, it's a DNA company. Um, and this is apparently the first time that the company had signed a deal to license a drug that it's developed. It raises serious questions about data ownership and rights once somebody uses these type of services where you're giving your saliva, blood, whatever else, and what they do with it. Anyway, back to uh, 23andMe. So the deal was with um, a Spanish pharmaceutical company called Alimoral, um, and the deal that they made was to develop a potentially new treatment for inflammatory diseases. I'm not sure which um, inflammatory disease that was. Now, 23andMe, uh, they've sold, you know, apparently in excess of about 10 million DNA testing kits uh, with more than about 80% of their customers agreeing to have their data being used by the company for research to understand the causes of the disease and how best to treat them. Now, from what I, the little research, that I, the research that I did, it said that the customers have, you know, signed for it to be for research. Um, interestingly, in 2018, 23andMe entered into a four-year collaboration with uh, the pharmaceutical company GSK. Uh, so apparently the for 23andMe terms and service um, the conditions apparently state that by signing up for a test, uh, air quotes now, you specifically understand that you will not receive compensation for any research or commercial products that include or result from your genetic information or self-reporting system. How aware do you think people are that the company could make a lot of profit from their saliva. I've actually never done 23andMe before. I was tempted. I was tempted to do it. And I was like, the 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 in the scientist in me was like, mm, what would they do with my data? Who owns it? These are questions that I was thinking of. Um, but anyway, seeing as they're using customers' data, I know, yes, the terms of service says, uh, you know, you can't, you won't receive compensation for research or commercial products. But seeing as they're using customer data to potentially make profit through their own drug discovery, maybe they should actually have a different approach and pay the customers for their data. Um, something to think about. Let you know. Let me know if you agree with me. If you don't agree with me, I don't mind. Let me know. I really would like to have more of a discussion around this because 
there's so many more. It's, it's, it's the question about who owns your data. And I think traditionally we've thought of data as, you know, when you fill in a form and you put your date of birth and all this information. But we're now moving into a time where data is, you know, your, your I was gonna say, yeah, your specimen, your sample, your saliva, your blood. Um, you know, what, what are people doing with that? Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I've added the articles, um, I've added different articles um, and links to the videos for all uh, the discoveries I've highlighted in the episode description um, on our website, mondayscience.wixsite.com forward slash podcast. So take a look. Let me know your thoughts. Thanks for joining us this week on the Monday Science Podcast. Make sure to visit our website. Uh, details are in the episode description where you can subscribe to make sure that you never miss the show. Uh, so catch up with you next week. Bye.